everybody, welcome to the Colour Not On Tour podcast. My name is Warren Eagles, I'm based in Brisbane, Australia, and I'm going to be talking to colourists around the world about what it's like to colour correct and live in their town. Ready to have some fun? If you look inside it, you can see every possible colour. So welcome everybody, welcome to the Colour Not On Tour podcast. Um, I would have loved to have been in London because I've actually been to Toby's facility, sat and had a beer, and he's local. So just what we would have done if we were doing this podcast for real, obviously it's changed, but we're still going to have a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Toby, welcome to the Colour Tour podcast. Hi. <laughs> Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. I uh, I don't have I don't have beer because it's six a.m. here in Australia, so I'm just having a having a tea. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just gone nine here. <laughs> oh, you're you're all right. You're just in that sort of wheelhouse after a big day, just a time for a cold drink. Exactly. So what I thought I'd do, and if, if you're listening to this podcast, I urge you to to look in the notes and check out uh, Toby's website. Uh, the cheap website, that's his facility because he's one of the few people I've talked to on this podcast that's actually built up his own facility. He's managing people, getting jobs out the door, which handling all the things. And so I'm going to start right at the beginning and I want to work up to how he's actually got to where he's got to. So it's a bit more of a journey, which I think will be a different way and probably be a more interesting way of doing it. So... So Toby, let's start at the beginning. Like, how did you get into colour and why, why colour correction? Why colour correction? Well, I was, I was at film school at, at Bournemouth. Um, back then it was called the Arts University College Bournemouth. Um, and at first I thought I was going to go into, in, into production design or cinematography. Um, and then on the second year, specialised in post, um, sort of started doing a lot of editing and 2D VFX, and then started discovering grading sort of in my second year. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it from that point onwards. Um, I missed editing a little bit for sort of having such an impact on, on, on the storytelling, and I missed the sort of wizardry of... of the 2D VFX and the, the stuff that I was doing in shade. And as I found out more and more about color grading, I kind of found out it was more and more of both of those things. It cool. was, it was but, using that, you know, using that sort of magic of VFX kind of, but always enhancing the story however you could. So it's kind of a hybrid. I'm interested to know how were they teaching color grading? Did you have, did you have someone come in or was there a lecturer there that, got you on the right sort of start how did it work okay. I, had a, I had a fantastic lecturer that i always give a shout out to called john turner um he was an amazing vfx tutor um taught you know amazing at teaching like shake and and, and going into the history of vfx you know optical processes yeah um, and and it was something by looking at the history of it all that's something that i later did in color grading to make myself a, a better colorist without the experience was was looking at how people did everything before looking at photochemical processes and stuff like that and john was just in, he was just inspiring and he he went on to be part of the team that started or uh, like frame store bournemouth as a sort of incubator for frame store talent so really lucky to have him there and yeah he was he was inspiring good so what happened next uh, but yeah, <laughs> and then, then I really fell in love with it um, and I started doing paid work at the university. Um, I, got, I got keys cut for the university grading suite and I bribed the cleaners and I graded, <laughs> I graded when the school was shut. Um, I had like, I mean, what, what really started my career was there's a little, there's a British band called N-Dubs. Yeah. Um, I think most most English people 30 or over probably remember them. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, that was my first like proper paid gig. And there was N-dubs in the university grading suite. And then they became massive. Like they were, they were no one when I was doing their videos. And they got really big and they kept the director on and they kept me on. So before you knew it, they're in the top 10 and I'm grading top 10 music videos. Wow. Like that, that, was, that was one of my first lucky breaks. Yeah, you need a few of those, don't you? Because you can just get on that little journey and that just gets you a bit more work, a little higher profile work, learning all the time while you're doing the jobs, making the mistakes and moving on. That was cool. Yeah. And that, that director is now a cinematographer shooting features called George Burt. <laughs> and I, I, hopefully I'll work with him one day soon. Well, that's good, isn't it? That's good yeah. to know. So... Wow. That was so. That was still in Bournemouth, thing. So is that so you hadn't made a move to? Yeah, sorry, I'm. I'm probably. This is far too detailed a history you were looking for. No, <laughs> um, no, 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 no. It's good. Um. Yeah, and then out of out of uni, there was a little independent feature. I mean, it's kind of all relevant, right? It's all. Yeah. It's kind of illustrates the the lucky breaks that that you, you kind of get and. You know, I mean, yeah. Recently, there's you know, you 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 wonder how much of that is. Um, uh, is, is because of privilege, um, but let, you know, let's not let's not get into that now. Um, so there was a the university film students were shooting an independent feature, um, and I went in to meet them to see if I could be the colorist. I was like, "This is great! I'm graduating. I'm going to go grade a feature." Right? Um, <laughs> and they said, "Oh, we're not looking for a colorist right now, but we we need a first AD, and, and you use you, you you first, right, at the film school." I was like, "Well." I have first AD a couple of shoots, like, and they're like, if you first the film, you can grade the film, and we'll we'll you know buy some hardware for you to help you grade it. So that's all I wanted. They were like, we haven't got money. What what do you need to grade it? And got like a Matrox, a Matrox MXO IO box, um, and a, a reference CRT monitor, and then I yeah, and I'll get onto that. So what sort of year are we talking about, Toby? How long ago is this? What year is this? This was 11, 12 years ago. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I graded, I ended up, I, I first did the film, and then I ended up grading it in my bedroom at my parents' house, right? So this was, I was, I was a bedroom colourist 12 years ago. So basically. you were on, was that Apple Colour then, or you were on Resolve then? That was, that was Apple Colour. Yeah, that's what I said yeah. it would have been, yeah. Yeah, that was Apple Colour. Um, oh, Apple Colour. Let's not get into that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That was a short conversation, wasn't it? But having said yeah. that... I mean, it was, it was around that time, Warren, that I was I was listening to your, your dulcet tones in your training videos. Yes. Oh, good, good. I'm glad you got that little plug in there. Good, yeah. Yep. Now now look at you from success after watching those, exactly. those old videos and those same old, those same old jokes, corny lines. Yeah, no, Apple Colour, and I did quite a few series with Apple Colour, and yep. so I was thankful because there was a bit of a uh, downset there where there were some people putting in colour, and so I got a seat at one of these places, and yeah, I had some good years on it. I, you know, it paid some bills, so. Yeah. Was it with FX PhD, was it? That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was... That was well. No one. There wasn't any training, was there? Sort of back then, and that sort of got people in started, I think. And um, yeah, yeah, no, still going. Now, now you're now you're going down memory lane. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's stop me. Let's let's get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so graded the feature. <laughs> um, yeah, graded the feature in the bedroom. Um, did a few music videos and stuff in my bedroom. Basically, set up a little little home <laughs> grading suite with a with a CRT, proper video monitoring. You know, I think that's the first step for anyone yeah. thinking about your your setup. Monitoring has to come first. So, you know, had a had a had a calibrated CRT reference monitor, proper video signal with a matrix. I was still using a, I think it was a MacBook Pro that was that was you know fairly well spec'd out, but nothing amazing using Apple Colour. And then, yeah, sort of just built up a reel, made a really terrible website that I, I think at one point might have had music on it until my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, told me how terrible that was. Um, and yeah, 
then got approached for freelance work from London uh, by a company called Tate Post. Ended up setting up a grading suite for them. They were a, a fantastic sound company. Yeah. Um, incredible talent. They did huge films. Um, and yeah, set up a grading suite there. Did because a DOP wanted, they, they wanted to do the grade there and the DOP wanted to work with me. So we kind of made it all happen together. Freelance there for a couple of features, did Ill Manners there. Um, did, yeah, did a, did a couple of other films, did like some Coca-Cola commercials that I completely sort of got, got by luck and, 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 and by some, you know, friends, yeah, friends from film school that were doing well in cinematography, you know, they're getting their break. I managed to grade some, some pretty cool stuff there. Um, and then I still had the home suite. Um, so I was doing a little bit of both. And then they decided to move. Um, and then, then, sorry, then I went back to my home suite for about nine months convinced enough people in London to take a, a half hour train out of London to this little village called Kings Langley, yeah. um, which is where my, my, yeah. where, my, where my parents live. And oh, yeah, basically saved up and then moved into the building where Cheat is now and set up a single suite six, seven years ago. Right. And that's um, in, uh, so that's, that's where you are now. That's the building I came to in Hackney, isn't it? Yeah, and then and then it was just then it was just me. Then it was me and an assistant slash producer, um, and then a producer and assistant. And then we were getting pretty busy. I was looking for someone that I could sort of you know share my clients with, and and you know have that sort of that flexibility there for for two freelancers. Met met Joseph Bicknell, who's who's obviously now at Company Three, and yeah, we sort of you know he he started getting busier and busier, and then. We, we, we got some assists in, we got a, a, a producer, someone a bit more senior, and then more assists, then another producer, then another colorist, Jax, who's a mate, who's yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, and then it grew and grew and grew. Um, and then think a lot of things changed last year. Um, had some sort of changes with, with the sort of top, top management and stuff. And now we've got Tim and Jack and some absolutely amazing the best team that I could have ever hoped for, you know, like it's so weird when you'd never, you'd never think that you go back two years ago and you'd look ahead and you would, you would see sort of, I don't know how much better things could have been back then. If you knew what you knew yeah. in two years time, you know, yeah. you, you really learn through, through difficult times in business. So what? what good actually looks like you know? oh, they, there's, yes. there's what you think is good you know which you know you get wrapped up in in sort of money and profit and and the type of work that you're doing the profile of work that you're doing but when it comes to a business it's more about the team it's not just that you need to make sure the team's happy everyone at the team's got progression opportunity like you need to enforce that otherwise it's temporary you yeah. know, if yes. you want to build something lasting. So explain what um, you've got in terms of rooms there, Toby. I've been through there and it's pretty impressive. So just say what you've got. I was there two years ago. So what, what have you got? Yeah, we've got, we've got six, six suites, four colour four color suites, two flames. Uh, one suite's dual broadcast and projection, although we wouldn't use it for theatrical finishing. It's more for... Um, grading commercials for theatrical release is, is sort of when we would use that. Um, for our theatrical stuff, we, we actually work with Dirty Looks um, and, and, and Tom Balkwell's company, and they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And it's the best DI theatre in London. Like, it's a six metre 4K Christie. It's such a stunning place to, to work in. Um, and yeah, so we've got the four colour suites. Uh, one of them is sort of the Netflix suite, which is sort of HDR um, with a Flanders Scientific XM311K, which is, I think, my favourite monitor of all time. <laughs> um, I think yes. it's as perfect as you can get, um, you know, un unless you're a nit chaser. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, and then we've got a bar, reception, an MCR where the assists also sort of are in, so it's sort of a multi-purpose room. Um, and then the production office where we've got a large sort of breakout area as well for, for all staff. So, so when I grew up in London, and I grew up not that far from Hackney, Hackney was a little bit dodgy. Now that sort of wouldn't <laughs> have been the place where you would have had a post house. Everything was in Soho. It was the only place to be for everything, really. There were some places doing longer form further out. So was that obviously a price consideration at the beginning, or was there some agencies there? What was your, your thinking at the location to begin with? Um... I don't know. I, I'd like to think that I was just seeing ahead to a sort of more connected world, I suppose. Um, I guess because I, I still found I was getting work, you know, an hour away from Soho door to door. Like if, if, if I can get work there, I can get work in East London. Um, a lot of creatives live around there, directors, DOPs, creative directors, agency people. You know, people people that are our clients, a lot of them lived in East London. So why not bring the post house to them? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but the thing that really swayed it was was eating in the restaurant in the building called Lardo, which to this day I think is my favourite Italian restaurant <laughs> in the world. <laughs> well that that always helps. Definitely, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I mean I I never did it, I could have done it. I I would have just got scared by hiring people and having to pay wages and monthly commitments. How do you balance that being the boss as opposed to being the colorist? And can you switch it off when you need to? How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's very much a room based thing. <laughs> I am, I, I'm a colorist in the bays. Um, and, and when I'm not in there and I'm in the other rooms, I'm, 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 I'm more the boss, I suppose, you know, yeah. I'm wearing different, different hats and it was a lot of hats, you know, it was, it was chief technical officer. I was, I was the engineer of the company. I was, you know, I, I knew, I knew more than sort of anyone about the tech, you know, I used to build all, all, all of the systems that she, I built the network, I designed like our workflows and everything. So it's like, or anything that 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 was beyond you know reached a certain level i would i would sort of have to look into and as well as that there's there's everything else with, with running a business um and the reason i mentioned the engineering side is because i've, I've just i've had an engineer now for two weeks yeah. and it's maybe the best thing and i'm like why didn't i do this <laughs> two years ago <laughs> like what was i thinking <laughs> I mean, you know, we had some great external support, IT people, but, you know, when it's a crisis and it needs yeah. to be fit like that, you know, yeah. I, I'm often enough to sort of yeah. do that stuff. And that's taken up so much headspace, that, that, that problem solving. And then, you know, then you're, then you're getting back to, to running the business or grading, you know. And then, oh, yeah, I mean, there's so much. There's so much. The conversations with and the thinking about things from, from sales to, to, to PR, to what we're going to do for events and like it's it's a lot it's a lot yeah. yeah and i know you had a hard time didn't you when joseph left because he was going to go then he didn't go and i remember i remember you telling me but i mean that's all part of it people can go and move around and that just upsets things when you think things are going well then suddenly it takes a left turn yeah and that, i mean that's one of the nicest things about running a company like Chi is is, is seeing people grow and like, you know, seeing people, you know, realize what's right for them and, and, and watching them succeed even after they've left. Like, it's a nice feeling to know that I was part of that, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's um, good. And then the company was part of that. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, 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 there's sort of, yeah, I guess there's a bit of legacy in that. And that's, yeah. And I, well, that's, why, that's kind of why I why I keep doing it, really. Yeah, and I think you know that you have knockbacks when colorists go; they take clients, they take work, but that gives opportunities for other people. Now, if you've got assists that are showing some promising, and that can step them up into a seat, then sometimes that brings other benefits as well. So there's always there's always pluses out of minuses. I think whatever you do. 
doesn't make, doesn't make it easy, though. No, it doesn't. No, I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't when you're trying to pay the wages. Do you normally recruit from in for your colourists? They come in from the sit assists, or are you looking outside? I mean, I don't, you know, what you flooded with CVs, but how does it work? Both. <laughs> Yeah, it depends, you know, it d d depends what we need and, and who we've got and, and where, where we are and, and where, where they are, really. Um, you know, the rest of the team. Um, so we've got, we've got Carol and Vlad who have worked up from assists. Um, and we've got Thomas as well, who's now a sort of assist slash junior colorist. He's doing more and more work. So that's sort of three people that have worked up. And then there's me, Tim, and Jack um, as, as senior colorists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So, and Tim and Jack came from, they came from big posts. They came from big iron places. You know? Right, okay. Yeah. Rushes, you know, Jack yeah. was at Rushes, then time based starts. Yeah. So he went Rushes, TBA, Chi. Tim was at the mill. He went to ETC and then he finally came to Chi. Yeah. Um, so it's a mix. Yeah. Uh, and what I noticed through looking at your website, you are ticking all the boxes as into uh, big TVCs, feature films, and your Netflix, Amazon-type dramas. It, that's probably the only way to go now, isn't it? You've got to cover all the bases, otherwise you're going hungry. Yeah. yeah, you have to. And I think COVID's highlighted that if you can do both, it's going to even out that kind of crisis. Like... During lockdown, we had some long form work that kept us busy when the, the short form work disappeared. Yeah. And at the end of this year and spring next year, there's no long form work because nobody was shooting. So we're hopefully going to be doing lots more commercials. If you're a facility that does only one or either, it's a much harder sort of crisis to go through. Yeah. yeah I would say that this has certainly changed since you know in the over the last 10 years where the, the colorist is now is now pretty doing is doing everything i mean you've got your your hero people that are doing you once did commercials are now doing more longer form and features and so it's become much easier to move around i would think more interesting i always found it more interesting yeah i mean i think it's good for the colorists as well creatively hmm. i think there's something about wearing the different hats and going between them and learning, learning something from one type of work, like long form and applying it to short form and vice versa. I think that's how you master your craft as a colorist. And I think, I don't know. I like, I often prefer the work of colorists that do both. But I'm not sure if that's just because of what I like to do. <laughs> like, it's uh, yeah. There's something. There's something about it. You know, the the naturalism of 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 theatrical grading traditionally, and the the detail work in commercial grading. Yes. That that hybrid. Yes. Is 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 very special, to me, uh, and that, uh, that's what I strive for. And, and occasionally the hourly rate that they're paying on those commercials is pretty good as well. I don't know if that's still the case. No, uh, not, not really, <laughs> no. It, it, I mean, it's, it's going down month by month at the moment, I'd say. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, not the, it's certainly not the heydays um, anymore. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's great, you know. There's there's been a democratization of of the industry and 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 roots into it, and I you know that's a great thing I think for society, and it's good to shake up the industry in that way. You know, there's a lot more competition. Competition's good; it drives quality up. The people, I think, it's very competitive now. I think it's quite, I think it must be quite stressful for a lot of colorists, especially at the top, to stay there. Competition competition's rife. Uh, you've got to be on your best A game and, you know, it's just become a tougher industry. I think you've got to, you've got to accept it and, and keep fighting. Yeah. Uh, it's become a lot more, you know, obviously 
PR is a lot more important than it used to be. Um, you, yeah. Sitting and not working for a little while, obviously the pressure is going to be on. And um, it's it's been very interesting. Now, one of the things I liked and I hadn't seen before was your little uh, investigation into film looks through LUTs and film grain when you shot all those cameras. Now, that's a really interesting resource for anyone to go and look at uh, that, that Toby did. How, did. how did that come around? And is that going right back to your, to your film school days, back to your, back to your first lecture that you mentioned? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess it was, um, it's something that I researched a lot. I mean, it's, yeah, it was almost my hobby. It didn't, I almost wasn't doing it for color grading. It was something I was really interested in, you know, in that film to digital transition, you know, looking at the differences between digital and film just fascinated me. Like, you know, so many DOPs wanted to be shooting on film and then being forced to shoot digital. And I was like, there must be a way, like, how has this been done? Like how, you know, how are DIs being done? How, they, how do they know what it looks like when you print to film? And that's really where LUTs came about from. Like their, their origin, you know, the Kodak, the whole um, uh, Cineon Kodak revolution with DI, um, you know, to, to profile a, a print stock, make a LUT so that when you're grading it, you can see what it's going to look like when it's printed to film for the big release. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. If we're doing this with print stocks, why aren't we doing this with negative stocks? Yeah. Um, so that I was like, yeah. And then I was going to probably try and commercialize it. And on the day, on the day of the, the profiling shoot or the first day of two days, I've invested a lot of money into shooting, you know, every, every single digital cinema camera at the time that anyone was using eight film stocks from Fuji and Kodak. Uh, we hired a stage, loads of lights, loads of equipment, grip, rigging, the whole shebang. On, on the first day, Film Convert came out. <laughs> and really? I was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then I sort of just internalised it and kept it internal. And uh, yeah, used it on a few projects and then kind of moved on. And have done lots of other work that I haven't really been publicly sharing. As, and that's you know, just as your as own research and good for your own projects and things. Yeah. And, you know, occasionally I work with some, some great engineers and colour scientists and, and we, can, we can build some tools and stuff that our colourists can use. Um, it's definitely something I want to take further. Um, but there's some pretty cool stuff that we've got. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. I like the R&D part just as much as I like the, the grading part, for sure. And you, you, so in case anyone, look, you guys are on resolves there, yeah? Now, that was a decision because that was the tool that was there about when you started to build the rooms and then you've sort of stayed with that. Is that how that's come around? Yeah. yeah I mean, it was the best tool for the job at the yeah. time, like 100%. And now, um, the conform, you know, like go back to resolve eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Compare Resolve 8 to other finishing platforms when it when it came to conform, it was still better. And then when XML started coming in, yes. Resolve was better. There's, yeah. There were post houses in Soho conforming on Resolve and exporting for baseline. Yeah. Like it was the great it was a great conform tool. It was a great delivery. I mean now, I mean yeah. look at it now. It's just incredible. Yeah. Like, in terms in terms of conform grade and delivery and you know okay, fusion and uh what's the what's the, what's fair, the audio fair life fair life yeah you can turn those off can't you yeah just, yeah i'm just i've disabled those I, 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 yeah in a weird way i kind of forget that they exist sometimes unless you keep clicking uh, on them yeah and then yeah i mean the delivery now you know our our netflix masters um you know, we're predominantly done out of Resolve. That's what I was going to get to. So your transition to HDR, did that come about because you thought, I need to get into this? Or did it come about because there was a job on the horizon and you thought, mate, I need to get up to speed here? How did, how did that come around? 
I've always been interested in HDR. Uh, probably from about six years ago, seven years ago, you know, when, when it became a bit more familiar. Yeah. Just, I mean, was it before Dolby Vision? I mean, maybe I saw it at NAB years ago. Anyway, I love it as a concept. I love it as the idea as a, as a, bigger, as a bigger bucket, a larger space, you know, more range to work in. It, it's interesting to me on that creative level. I was very wary of it if it ever came into commercials. Um, and I was very wary of, of what it would do to change the, the normal what we would consider, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was a bit scary, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and considering how much I love the film look with a soft roll off in the highlights. Yes. I, I was, I was struggling to see how that would all work because I liked a big shoulder on an yeah. image. Um, and then I realised, and that I was, I kind of felt that way for a couple of years. And then I started playing around, and Pablo Garcia really helped me out with that. Um. And then I, I realized, you know, the subtle use of it. And, you know, I think this may be when the first season, when did Chef's Table start? I think by then I had the revelation, but Chef's Table is a great example. Yeah. You know, the subtlety of it, uh, yeah. the restraint of it, I guess. Uh, that's when I started to get really excited. And then the end of the fucking world season one, they were talking about HDR. Um, and then I really got into it, but didn't purchase a monitor because the because they hadn't confirmed it was HDR. Um, and then waited till season two to get into it, um, which was great because we started in SDR and we we knew we knew that that worked, um, so we could just take it a little bit further without without anyone wanting to push it further because it was meant to stay true to season one. So, yeah. Yeah. That, sort of, that, 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 that gave me the, the restraint to, to keep it nice. <laughs> now, how did that show come around? Because uh, I've been looking at it and my son goes, what are you doing watching that show? <laughs> and it's good. It's done well, isn't it? Done pretty well. I mean, yeah, it's done really well. Um, yeah, I mean, winning a BAFTA for best drama. Yeah, that's, you right. can't get any better than that, can you? So how did you draw it? An Emmy nomination for best, cinematogra best cinematography. Great. Which, I mean, come on, I'll, I'll take a little bit of that. You can have a bit of that. I'll give you a bit of that, Toby. Yeah, well done. Don't so, give me a foot off the search, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how, how did, because that was uh, probably the more mainstream long form stuff you've done, or the higher profile one, is it? Or That's the one I think that most people have seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm not okay with this now. So that was a US US original, so a lot more a lot more American eyes on it. Okay, that's the one you've just been not, working not will, on this year. Not that we'll not that we'll ever know the true numbers with anything. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no that's right. No, um, no. I'll lead to. Uh, I haven't got into season two yet. So season two is the HDR. Season one's yeah. not HDR for anyone who wants to go and have a look at it. Kind of a look and they're quite, I think they're quite different look-wise to, to an extent. They're the same world, but there's, I don't know, season one's sort of much more indie Americana film. Season two is, 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 is I think, more refined. And how are you finding this Dolby Vision one, one master fits all, the SDR trim is going to be what it is? Uh, feels like a bit of a compromise when I'm talking to most people. Do you, do you feel the same? Have you got any ways around that? Because Netflix will only take one one master, won't they? It used to be terrible. It's fine now. <laughs> so with the, with the rate with the latest Dolby Vision, what is it? Four point one. Yeah, four of them. Yeah, four one. Yeah. Four. Point four. Yeah. The t that's that's a lot better. And to be honest, if you know, if your HDR grade is is tasteful. Yes. The SDR grade looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think I think we went through a phase when maybe the HDR was pushed to pushed to ten when it shouldn't have been pushed to ten and it should have been sitting around seven. If you know what yeah. I mean. If it was pushed a bit and too much and people yeah. were looking at where we could make the most of this and maybe not making it the most of it in the right ways. 
but it's all learning. Like it's, you know, I've seen, I've said to it on this podcast before and I was chatting to Shane at Dolby and he said, I, he's done a lot of features in HDR and he said, he said, I wish I could go back and redo the first five just because the amount of hours he got under the hood by grading and he just then felt he wanted to go back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, season... <laughs> I'm not sure how many people know this, but se- season two, End of the Fucking World, was my first job in HDR. <laughs> so I was, I was shitting it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just spent... I think it was the weekend before the first week the weekend in the suite with the material just just playing just experimenting trying yeah. the trim seeing what worked yeah. going back and forth doing a grade in sdr saving a still grabbing it bringing it into the hdr project tone mapping it comparing it matching it expanding the highlights like i was just going around and around and around and then i found you know i i, I didn't use an output transform Oh, it, is, okay. it is a custom tone map okay. um, okay. that's done manually with curves and keys. I'll never do it again, but miraculously it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. So, right. I, I, well, I say that to anybody, right? It's no good going, well, I've got this HDR grade. Let's get the, get the monitor delivered the day before and let's get on with it. Because that's not going to work. You've got to be in there really early i know the monitor's the big barrier it's the big financial barrier for any colorist thinking well let's get ahead up unless you're obviously in a in a facility but even then it's a lot of dough that's why everyone's sort of hanging out for one of these little slightly lower cost options that are at least going to be good for learning on because otherwise it's just really hard yeah get i mean yeah <laughs> get used to it i would say yeah i mean that's that's the advantage where you're at now with a facility, with infrastructure, uh, with an engineer, you've got experience because as much as, you know, the grading is obviously very important, but with these shows, these streaming shows, as I want to call them now, there's a lot of work in getting these over the line, isn't there? The finishing, versioning, the whole thing is not the sort of thing the iMac warrior is going to be doing. So it does put the ball back into your court a little bit more which i think is good because you've made the investment and you are the guys that should be getting these over the line which is hopefully what you know is, is going to be good in for your benefit yeah and i mean netflix don't muck about the bigger the show the more they care about who's working on it and and all the rest of it like you might be you know you might you might get a few netflix jobs that are sort of co-production or independent that are being supported you know those kinds of deals with netflix if it's a netflix original you better have a facility you better have 24-hour security 4k cctv obviously it's netflix um you know especially if you go down the tpn route you know that's if 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 you if you're tpn approved you're netflix approved um if you talk directly with netflix they're going to come around and you you better you better be ready to sort of answer all of their questions. Otherwise, yeah. if there's another facility that they have as an option, they're going to go for that option. Like yeah. a director and a DOP can only fight for you so much, and you've kind of got to understand that because it's a big investment to to trust someone in post with your with something in long form that nobody else in the world has seen yet is trust you earn that trust by showing that you've put processes in place to protect their in their property basically it's like they're coming to you with a a 50 million dollar diamond and they're saying can you look after this for six months and guarantee it's not stolen and you better be able to say i'm pretty sure we can look after it for six months and it isn't stolen. Like, people who get annoyed by this stuff, I'm like, yeah. what do you think? They're just going to trust you yeah. with all yeah. this. Yeah. Like, it's mad. Like, you earn that. It, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't have to. You know, if you're really smart and you can engineer everything yourself, you could probably do it on a low budget. But, I don't know. You know, that's... Cool. 
That's it. Now, <laughs> tell me, tell me about Film Grain. I looked at a few of your ads on Vimeo, so they're on your website. They're on Vimeo. Some I can well, see some film. <laughs> yeah, no, I was looking, and some I can see some grain added. Like there's an Under Armour one that I like the grade of, look really good. Are you adding this on everything but different levels? Or maybe some jobs you're going, well, this is definitely doesn't need that. How do you work it out on what type of grain you're using? Or is that secret cheap grain that you can't talk about? <laughs> I've got my own way of doing grain. Um, <laughs> that that I, don't, I don't think anyone else does that uses it cheap. It's very subjective. There's no, I don't think there's any correct approach. And I think the reason for that is our definition of, of film grain and film texture has changed from when the only time you'd see it would be, I mean, neg grain going through IPIN to print, but let's just say you've got neg and print, right? You've got very fine print grain and you've got neg grain depending on the film speed. Yeah. And they're combined to create grain on a projection screen. And then that kind of will change with the DI. You'd get, you know, to, to some extent, especially if you're, you know, scanning at a lower resolution, that's removing the grain because you're averaging the grains into a pixel. Yes. So that, that kind of created cleaner images that still had print grain. So that sort of changed. And then you had people grading negative without a print lump. So you look at films like uh, The Florida Project, I think it's my, fav my most favorite example of that. Um, and that changed where you would see the grain in terms of the shadows, midtones, and highlights. And then you had people emulating grain and then, then you've got compression and the, the effects of compression. Like where, where does most compression happen? It happens in the shadows. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like, if you're trying to recreate the effect of grain on a high quality image, you should be thinking about how does it look after it's compressed? So that informs the way that I think about grain. It's not, you know, sometimes I'll push it a little bit further in the grade to see if it survives <laughs> down the chain. I think for commercial work, it's risky, but it's quite nice to, to maybe add a little bit that by the time it's broadcast or online, it'll be gone. But you know it's there, and yeah. it's in, it's in your high res stills on your website, sort of thing. But it it depends on the project, you know. Some some things want to be super clean. Some there, things want to be really gritty. You know. There was a time when I thought that the Vimeos and YouTubes were just really eating the grain up and not liking it. And then I've looked at things recently, and it seems to be if you add a little bit in there, it seems to be taking more care of it than I remember. Almost like it sees more detail there now than it did yeah, before. Yeah, some, sometimes, sometimes they've switched to VP9, haven't they? Yeah, it's, something seems to have changed there a little bit because I used to say that, that, you know, just be really careful. Like it could go, disappear, just turn into compression there and not do yourselves sticky, any favours. Sticky grain. Yeah. That was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and the grain would just freeze and yeah. move, freeze and move and freeze. And... <laughs> yeah, the amount of music videos that, that ended up getting sticky grain back in the day. Yes. And I, yeah. um, so, like, I don't know if it's just for online, probably don't bother because it's kind of just, it's kind of going to ruin it. I think the only time that you need to be like really anal about texture, really specific, is for a theatrical release. Or, yeah. a, or a 4K Netflix release. Are you, um, when you're, are, are you thinking differently? Say it's a 4K Netflix as opposed to a cinema. I know you're not going to a projector for it, but in your thinking, are you thinking much the same about what you're going to do with it? Or is it different? Well, what, depending on the, the final... Well, yeah, if it's going to be a movie, big screen, definitely, that's our priority. I know doubt if anyone can say that now, though, because if we turn <laughs> it, we're thinking about the profits of the film, it's probably not going to be on a big screen, is it? But, so... I think, you could argue it's been like that for years. Well, I think so. More, more people watched films on TVs than, than theatrical. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a great duty of care to make sure that the trim 
but but we we busted our asses for a, for a, the DCP because that was the premiere and that was the big hero thing that everybody would rock up and watch. But in terms of revenues, it wasn't, was it? It was the smaller things that people were looking at on tablets and TVs yeah. and even phones where the money was coming in. But that was never our primary. That was always a transport. So. Really? Yeah, I can't even remember what it was now, but I think most Netflix use, not most, 40% of Netflix usage is mobile. Yeah, I know. It's scary, isn't it? Is that yeah. it? At least the screen's and a bit bigger. Once, apparently, once you factor that in, because so many phones are HDR now, yeah. more people are watching originals in HDR than SDR. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that's the whole drive. That's why it's all been driven, isn't it? It's all phone, phone use. It's so our maps, our maps look better in daylight, so we don't get lost. <laughs> yeah. That's what that's why it is. Nothing to do with TV. So let's jump right up to date. COVID, COVID hits. Things are going oh. looking pretty good for cheap. You're bumbling along, going well. Then all of a sudden, did you have to adapt quickly? Are you doing remote workflows? How did you keep the show rolling? I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The priority was 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 safety for everyone, um, making sure that we could finish off the projects we were in the middle of. That was, that was sort of priorities one and two. Um, we, we all, we basically, um, we scrambled to get everything set up at people's homes. So we had assists set up at their homes. We had the colorists set up at their homes. Um, and yeah, started purchasing a, a lot of hardware to make sure that we could do remote grading well and accurately, and that we could give, give, give our clients confidence in what they were looking at. That was, that was paramount. I didn't want this to affect the work. Um, that, was, that was the sort of key stages. And then it just became about checking in with the team seeing how they're doing. A lot of them were furloughed. Um, and we shrunk down to a, to a pretty small team. And the people that were on that team, I, I, guess, I guess we'd call us survivors <laughs> because we took on probably a lot more work than we should have took on um, just to keep it small and nimble. So we, you know, we really reduced our costs as much as we could. Um, and then I get the great news that I'm not okay with this season two was greenlit. There was an article in Variety. Um, the production called me, told us to keep the drives and the tapes from season one because we might need them for flashbacks in season two. So I'm like, brilliant, great. So decided to get go through and get a you know a pretty large <laughs> pretty large Sybils loan, which the government has you know kindly yeah. backed. And it's, you know, it's a great loan. Um, and then two weeks after that, because production had been pushed, well, a little bit late in that, I don't know, two months after that, they, they canned season two because COVID pushed the production too far back. So <laughs> that, was, uh, that was another like, okay, we're not quite out of this yet. So we knuckled down, uh, got in as much work as we could. You know, we, 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 worked, we worked hard. We called, <laughs> we called everyone up. We saw what was going. Um, and we, you know, we helped out a lot of people on their personal projects and, you know, reunited a few old relationships and got to work. And then it started opening up and we got busier and busier. And, you know, we'd been there for the people that were working. And, yeah, they, they came back to us after everyone else started sort of getting back to work. So it's, you know, tough, <laughs> tough lockdown. I didn't, everyone else, you know, I, I don't know. It's, you know, it was, I'm sure, it was, yeah, <laughs> I was really busy when everyone else was, was sort of thinking about their life 2.0 and having these <laughs> amazing self-reflective experiences, which I did get a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, gen, you know, generally I was, I was grading and planning for now and, you know, going through a rebrand and all sorts of plans uh, that are in the works. So yeah, it was, <laughs> I was, I was sort of, full steam ahead just knowing if I didn't do everything that I could have done um I, yeah I just uh, 
it was yeah it, the pressure was on you know and it's you know that's as a, you know you, you i don't think you get the same amount of pressure as a freelancer without these you know the overheads of the overheads of cheat are unfathomable <laughs> now um, you i couldn't imagine it a few years ago oh yeah i'd say yeah i think you've done really well now you're a fan of the stream box aren't you um love it love it, love it. so uh, i hear Yes. A, she's a wily temptress. You need to, <laughs> you need to, you need to, you need to give, you need to give it great care and attention, and you need to work with their support team closely, and for a period of time, and then everything will be fine. <laughs> they they're very friendly, very helpful, and whatever issues you're having it can probably be fixed with the right combination of settings that they will help you discover. All right, cool. So let's, for our, for our listeners, this is hardware on both ends or just hardware on your end? Uh, both. So it's, <laughs> uh, so you're shipping stuff. Uh, I suppose you could even ship a monitor as well if need be, couldn't you? Or what are you doing monitoring on their end, for example? The 2019 iPad Pro 12.9 inch, the big one. Yes. Is is a flawless display. It is the best consumer display I've I've ever tested. Um, you know, we've 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 pointed a probe at it, and it. It's very accurate. And the, I think the reason for that is the iPad Pros are individually calibrated at the end of the production line at Apple. Like, you might even be able to get the calibration report. I'm not sure. But they are incredible displays. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if, if not that, then we've got a viewing suite at Cheat. Um, or viewing suites, really, so we can stream a feed from any suite to another. So we can have clients in one suite and the colorists in another if they want to be isolated. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's that's kind of it for now. Um, and we've also done the hardware, the hardware shipping um, for HDR for tiny creatures. We did a. a, a, a it's not a documentary series. It's a, it's a nature drama, is what it is. It's an okay. animal drama. Wow, all right. um, it shouldn't be seen as a documentary. It's animal drama, um, and that's that's what the director says. <laughs> um, and we needed HDR. We needed 4K. That's what the director wanted. He didn't want to grade without that, so we made it. We made it happen. <laughs> um, and it was it was pretty good. You know, we weren't going. Yeah, we weren't doing anything too too crazy, um, but we we set the look just before lockdown on an XM311K, um, and basically set the tone and stuff. And he, you know, where he wanted to push the scenes and experiment, we did that on the proper HDR monitor, so we knew where he wanted that to be. Um, and yeah, sent review links as well for final approval. Um, and it works, worked flawlessly. What was he looking at, Toby? He was, I mean, I know I'll get a few slaps on the wrist from, from certain people here, like Steve Shaw, but he was, looking at, he, was, he, was looking at, he was looking at a calibrated LG OLED. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting, getting fed a pretty decent stream in 10 bit. And yeah, it doesn't have the color volume once you go a certain nit point. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? We had a bit of film emulation going on that was desaturating the highlights anyway, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were pretty desat highlights. Like that was part of the look. Uh, yeah. that's, 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 what, that's what we built. So therefore, there wasn't a lot of chroma in those highlights anyway. So I don't really think, I don't know. Looking at it, we've got an XM510. 510? 550. Yeah. An XM550 uh, X, is it? B? The second one. Um, at cheat. So that's, a, that's the same panel as the LG. I assume they don't get extra magical highlight colour. 
and comparing that to the XM, you can see the difference if there's really high range and lots of color in the highs. You can't really see the difference if, if, if the HDR is sitting a bit lower. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a reference display, but for a client during COVID lockdown in a different part of the country, I think it was about as good as we oh, could get with setting right. the HDR monitor. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Like at some stage, we've got to be realistic, haven't we? Yes, I agree. Not good for HDR grading, but certainly for that viewing and getting that HDR experience, where you're not going to get otherwise. I think that's totally got to be fine. We've got, we've got, to, we've got to move on, haven't we? And that makes sense. Yeah. Ticks the boxes. The uh, the iPad Pro looks pretty cool in HDR. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah. And how are you getting, how, if you wanted to just get images into the iPad Pro, how are you doing, are you rendering that out with a, uh, will that take that into the iPad? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the that's Streambox thing. Uh, yeah, the Streambox has, so this is the beautiful thing about Streambox. It's color managed point to point. Yeah. So the Streambox media player app, um, is their software, it's their own codec. Like the whole thing is designed for accuracy point to point. So any, anytime you use anything with a browser-based solution or anything like that, forget it. It's not going to be color accurate unless you're either very, very effing lucky by chance um, or you've calibrated the other end. So you'd need a pro to... Uh, to profile your your client's display. Let, let's be realistic, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So you send them an accurate display, the iPad Pro, and then the software that runs Streambox and decodes the signal is made by Streambox. And it's a, the, the display is controllable. It can even, you can even do P3, D65, thousand nit HDR on an iPad Pro. Wow. If it goes, I think it's, I think it goes, I don't, I don't, it's is it 800 nits? It could seven? be, it's not 1,000, is it? Because I thought six, it was about seven, but. Six, six 700? Yeah. So, okay, yeah, if you're going, you know, I mean, realistically, that should just be your speculars, right? So yeah. imagine 90, 95% of your image is accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think the P3 is slightly oversaturated. I haven't profiled the P3 yet. Yeah. Um, I do have a feeling that red's a bit punchy but p3 red is beautiful anyway <laughs> um, uh, it's amazing isn't it i mean if, yeah if you guys if you guys have a p3 monitor looking look at rec 709 red next to p3 red it's a completely different experience yeah um anyway where, where, was, I, where was i going cool uh yeah it's great it's really color accurate it's got an ios ios software windows and mac so Unless, you're, unless your client is uh, an engineer on Linux or doesn't use computers, you've probably got them covered with Streambox. Yeah, I hear, I hear good things all around about it. So uh, I think one of the things that the COVID thing has, has forced us into doing things, isn't it? And we've had to do, but going forward, probably we've put things in place that, that's, that's going to help us. And things probably won't. You know, we won't have as many people coming into rooms, even if they could, probably going forward. And this re working remotely and doing this stuff, is, we're going to see more of it, I think. Where if that brings us more working, then I know I've had more calls from more remote locations in the, in the last six months than I've had previously. So, yeah, I mean, and in, in toward the end of lockdown here, when other companies started, other countries started opening up, like we did some commercials for New Zealand, which was great, um, with Streambox. So, you know, think about, think about how far that's going. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and that worked well. We did, I mean, we did one job with three continents, I think. No, three countries. Oh, was it three continents? Three continents. We had five, five directors Six DOPs. It was massive. <laughs> it was like yeah, all on the same, like, all on like the same call, so to speak. 
all on the same feed, feed. and all on the same Zoom call. So we're connected with live-ish, live picture around the world, all talking to each other. And there's something really cool about that. There's a, there's a, blog, there's a blog story there, I think, Toby. That needs to be on the website. Few photos, blogs, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Sure. Don't, don't, I mean, I'd, I'd almost say to people, don't look at the website until a month's time. Oh, the, well, website, the website hasn't been updated for over a year or two. It's, oh. it's been neglected pretty poorly. You know, it's, uh, well, it's, not, it's not that bad. I'm probably exaggerating. Um, but the new website is a sort of big overhaul, and there's a lot of this information on there. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. Cool. Um, yeah, it's really good. Good system. All right, mate. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. This has been a, a really cool insight into how you're working in in London, how you've built your facility. Hats off to you for doing that, and how you're getting through COVID. So let's let's hope that 2021 and maybe maybe we'll get a real beer somewhere. It's uh, it's not over yet. <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> It's not like we've got through COVID. It's like we've we've survived round one. I know. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, I think you might be right. We might be in this sort uh, yeah. of yes. Yeah, and then you know, got Brexit to look forward to as well. Yeah, you do have that added uh, that added complexity over that your side. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. All right, mate. That's been fantastic. Thanks a lot. Cheers. See you, everybody. If anyone wants to know any more about Colour Tour Podcast or Not On Tour Podcast, all previous episodes are available online. So you can go there, iColorist.com. I want to thank all our ICA sponsors for helping to uh, fund this call. And uh, any questions about anything, you can go to our website or find us on social media. Ciao.